Hello and welcome back to the top 10 things you can do to prevent child sexual abuse. My name is Megan and in this episode we are talking about tip number eight, knowing how to respond. So this is imagining most parents' worst nightmare, or at least one of them. Um, I'll say actually after working with so many incredible survivors of sexual abuse, I can say this is not my worst nightmare as a parent. I certainly um, would never want this to happen to my children, but I don't fear it like a lot of parents do because I know that the chances of recovery are very high if we can help kids know that they need to talk about it and get the secret out. And so much of that has to do with the right response from a parent because First of all, we want to make sure that our kids, the whole purpose of this podcast is having more children out there that are able to approach adults. And one of the main things to understand about that is that children whose caretakers accept the possibility that their child might be sexually abused, those kids disclose about three and a half times more than those whose caretakers denied any possibility of abuse. So just by listening to this podcast, you are making it so much more likely that your child will approach you because kids do not want to tell adults that have blinders on and are shut down and say, oh God, I could never listen to a podcast like that. Oh God, how do you do that work? I hear that all the time when I'm out at a party or something and people make the mistake of asking me what I do. And I say I have the privilege to work with survivors of sexual abuse. I'm a mental health therapist. Immediately, they will change the subject to anything else, such as politics or any <laughs> anything is more comfortable than talking about that. And it's just really a shame because that's exactly what offenders want. That is the whole message here, is that they want everyone to be so awkward and uncomfortable and like, oh God, I can't even imagine doing that work, that it just makes it so that the children feel like, well, gosh, I can't even imagine telling my mom about it. So it's just something that, a really sad thing that happened years ago was we had this great little Girl Scout troop that they donated our, our their cookie money to our Children's Advocacy Center. And I just thought it was the greatest thing. And they called and wanted to have a tour of the Advocacy Center and to be able to learn more about what we do. And when I explained that I would be talking a little bit about the messages that are present in Who's the Boss of This Body, the book that I've written, then all of a sudden they canceled and nobody would talk to me about why I tried to educate them and there was just such fear. They did not want their children coming into a place where they might have to learn that sexual abuse exists. And then we wonder why the offenders are winning and that sexual abuse continues to happen. So, so much of this is about getting kids to be able to tell us, but then knowing what to do if they do. Because research indicates that the impact of the trauma or how resilient a child is has way more to do with the response and the support system that they get than with the actual type of abuse that has occurred. Your reaction as a caregiver is critical to healing, and disbelief of a child can be absolutely detrimental. And getting the child to keep it a secret is just as detrimental. So this is how I want parents to react. If you find out that your child or another child has been sexually abused, the child needs to know that they are believed, that you are capable of finding help and connecting them to people that will help make it stop, so you will be reporting it, 
that you would be so proud of them for telling and not keeping the secret, that you would not be mad at the child, and you would not think that they had done anything wrong to cause it, they would not be in any trouble, and that you wouldn't ever think that it was is their fault because people that do this break the rules and they can be tricky and they try to make a kid think it's their fault, but you would never blame them. And so that's really the main messages that I want a child to, to know, and that will make them more likely to approach you. So now I want to talk a little bit about the importance of reporting, because what we know is unfortunately a lot of times there are dead-end disclosures. And so these reports are made to the parent, and the parent says, gosh, I don't want to put my child through this. And they think that telling is actually going to be harmful to the child, when it's actually the opposite. And I want to explain why. Um, that my perspective on this is that really there are two teams. Sexual abuse is a pretty black and white issue. And so there is a victim and there is a fender, an offender, okay? And so there are these two different roles and those two different roles have two different teams. And so the offender's team, they have one simple rule. Do not call the cops. Do not tell anyone that will be able to make me stop, okay? So it's just a simple rule. Don't do anything. So it's really tempting to follow team offenders rule. Because if you take their side, then the perpetrator is, is just, it, they're just asking you to do nothing. Do nothing at all. Now, on the other hand, the team of the victim, you have to take a lot on. There's a huge responsibility that comes with being on team victim. Because the victim is asking you to share the burden of their pain. They're demanding action they're demanding engagement and remembering. So really, I think the best way to understand this is through example. And in previous tips, I've made reference to this little girl. Um, I think I brought it up first in the tip number three on grooming, um, that she was just a big family barbecue and she sat on the couch and a, her dad's friend came in and was touching her vagina for a matter of who knows how long, seconds, minutes, however long. So... After that incident, she made her parents leave the party, and they all went and got in the car. Now, I just want you to imagine a different scenario, okay? So they get into the car, and instead of her feeling silenced, let's imagine that this little girl has heard messages from her parents that, you know what? Nobody ever has the right to look at her, touch her vagina, honey. And if anybody ever does that, they're breaking a rule and they might be trying to trick you. So I want you to be able to tell me about it. So imagine she's heard this. She's also heard that she's the boss of her body and she's also heard that secrets are just not safe. And so as she sits in the back of the car, it's so scary, but she knows she has to do it. One, two, three. Mommy, I didn't like the way that he touched me. Okay, so here it is. Oh my gosh. A parent's worst worst fear. What do you mean the way he touched you? Right? Now, it's very, very easy in your response to sound disbelieving. Okay? So just imagine if this parent had made some kind of sounding of, I'm not going to believe you, or maybe, are you sure? Are you sure that he touched you? Tell me how he touched you. How was it? Show me. Right? This, all of these questions, oh my gosh, the child's getting more and more and more stressed, right? But that's because of the parent's stress. 
And so everyone is just feeling stress. And that those situations, they, they usually don't go very well because the parent just does a lot of excessive questioning. So um, what I would just recommend instead is that you just simply leave it to the authorities. And I'll be giving you those steps here in a minute. But really what I want to talk about is this, the different teams, because what's happened in this situation now is that you are going to have to take on the burden of your child's pain. All of that discomfort that she just felt on the couch, you're going to have to feel on some level because this is going to be awful. It's going to be awkward and horrible. And what you need to do is you need to call and you need to report it. And that is scary. And that is demanding a lot of engagement and remembering. And it is just asking so much of you. But that is because you are now to feel the same level of pain as your child. So all of this, I, th- this concept really comes from a brilliant woman named Judy Herman that she wrote Trauma and Recovery, what, one of the quintessential works on, on sexual abuse that I would recommend um, for a good read. But she really does this great job of explaining what the victim has to take on and how overwhelming this is for not only the victim, but also for the victim's family. Because you have to consider, what is everybody at the party going to say about you? You are never going to be able to hang out in a social situation with these people in the same way again. It is always forever going to be different. And that is horrible. And it really is just a terrible thing to go through. And it's not your fault. And it's not the child's fault. It's all the fault of the offender. And he knows how awful this is. And so he can pretty safely assume that if the child does say that to the parent, that the parent's just going to avoid all of this and be on his team and follow his rule and do nothing because that is just so much easier. So all you have to do is just make sure we don't ever go to their house. We're not going to invite them over for dinner. We're not going to hang out with them again. We're going to avoid them. We'll make sure she's never alone with them. And that's it. But by not reporting it, you are on his team. And that is what people fail to understand, because what will happen by not reporting it is your child will feel that. Even if a child, very often they're begging their parent, please, no, no, don't tell, I don't want you to tell, I don't want you to tell. Because that child has been so brainwashed to be on the team of the offender. And they're trying to pull you onto the team of the offender. And very often they're successful because the parent feels terrible that their child has experienced this and they want to make them feel that they have some control. The problem is team offender has the control still. Think about this. When a person is sexually abused, when a person is sexually assaulted, that like every trauma out there, whether it's being in a hurricane or being in a shooting or whatever the traumatic situation There is this period of time where you are powerless, where your control is taken from you. That is what makes an event traumatizing. And so you are rendered powerless. Now, with most traumas that are pretty recoverable, that has an end. The storm clears. The shooting stops. There is an end to that. And then you step forward and begin processing by telling your story. When you cannot do that, when you are rendered silenced, the offender continues to have power. 
And this is what makes sexual abuse so traumatizing, is they not only have power over you in the moment of the abuse, they continue to have power over you as long as you are silenced. It can be years, it can be decades. There are so many sexual abuse victims. They continue to suffer. They are victims of their abuse, and they publicly speak about their victimization, and they hide the identity of their offender, and they wonder why they're still suffering. And the reason why they're still suffering is because they have not broken the silence, and they have not reported him, and so they still are being they, they still continue to have control because that is the number one rule of the offender. Do not tell. As long as you're not telling, you are following his or her rule and they have power over you until you tell. So that's what they try to do. The victim very often follows their rule. The victim will try to get their parents to follow the rule. And when there's nobody calling the police, the offender still has power because that's all they want is to not be reported. So it's a lot, it's unfortunately very likely that adults who suspect sexual abuse, they fail to report it because there are a lot of barriers to taking action. A lot of adults don't know or recognize the warning sign behaviors that should elicit concern. They don't understand that this does not happen in stranger danger situations. They expect it to be violent. So they're not questioning things and they're, you know, they're not um, being as suspicious as maybe they need to be. A lot of people are just afraid of being wrong about their suspicions, and they're afraid of taking action on concerns that might ultimately be unfounded. That's exactly why you want to take action, because you are not an expert on sexual abuse. We are. At children's advocacy centers all over the country, that's where your experts are. If your child consistently was having headaches all of the time, you would eventually get to a point where you need to go have some medical like opinions on this. And you would go to your doctor, maybe even to a neurologist to try to find out what's happening. You wouldn't just rely on your own actions over and over and over and over again. You have to rely on the experts. There are people that make a living doing this that have a lot of information and they are not going to have you walk in the door and all of a sudden be seeking out making sure your child is a victim. There are a lot of cases that we get to share with a parent that, you know what, I think this has actually been a misunderstanding. And that is actually really cool to do. <laughs> and we enjoy doing that rather than having to terrify people and, and make them think that, you know, just because they're at a children's advocacy center, we're now going to make sure that something happened. We don't get paid any more money if people <laughs> come in and are actually abused versus not being abused. So rely on your experts. Bring, come forward and, and seek their professional opinion to find out if you think that these, these allegations might not actually be founded. There's a lot of fear of making things worse for the child. Hopefully when I just described the team victim and team offender, you can see that we're, when you're following the offender's rule, you are making things worse for the child, whether the child begs you to not report or not. Talking about it, shining a light on it, breaking the silence, breaking his rule, and getting the child help because you might be able to protect your child from the offender, but you're not going to be able to get your child mental health services, which very often they need. because 
therapists are mandatory reporters. And so now you're not going to be able to get your child therapy, even though you can make sure, okay, well, we're moving anyway. And so I know she's never going to see that teacher again, or I'm just going to cut off my relationship with my brother because of his drug addiction anyway. So I'll make sure she never sees him. And we're just going to pretend like this never happened. You're not going to be able to have mental health services for your child, which they might really need. And you're just promoting the secrecy. Secrets are not safe. So if you really want to demonstrate that to your child, make sure that it gets reported. You will not be making it worse for your child. Then there's also a belief that you can make it stop without the authorities, like I just gave as an example, moving away or avoiding the perpetrator, but you're not making the trauma stop because you're following his rules and he continues to have control over your child and your family. And then there's just not knowing where to turn for credible information. So that's why we have children's advocacy centers. You can Google it. They're in every state. Try to find one near you. But if you can't find a children's advocacy center, seek out your local law enforcement or child protective services agencies to get some assistance. So I want to just talk about now how I actually, I want you to respond to your child if they tell you this. Don't have big reactions. You have to remain calm. Okay. You have to take a deep breath and be tough for your child. It's okay to cry a little bit, okay? Just don't be hysterical. And if you're crying, just make sure your child understands, honey, I am not crying at all for anything you did. I'm crying because of what your dad did, because of what your grandpa did, okay? And explaining to them who caused you to cry because they'll always think that it's them. Okay, so as much as possible, you want to remain calm, but not robotic. You're allowed to have some emotion. Um, you want to tell your child that you believe them and thank you for telling, thank them for telling. So just, oh my gosh, that must have just, whew, that must feel like a big secret. Wow. That must have been so hard to tell me. Thank you so much for telling me. Oh, that is just, I really, I'm so proud of you. I know that that must have been a really, really upsetting, confusing thing to have happen. And I believe you and I thank you so much for telling me. You do not want to ask a lot of questions because inevitably those questions will make the child feel like they've done something wrong. Leave it to the professionals to ask the questions. Okay, so of course you want to get some basic information like, are you okay? When is the last time that this happened? Do we need to you know, is everything all right? Do we need to go to a doctor or anything? Um, but then you want to let them know that you are going to take care of this and you can handle this. You've got this. Okay. And that, you know what, I have learned about this stuff and I know who to call. And so I'm going to make some phone calls and I'm going to find people that it's their job to help. Because you know what, this happens to so many kids, honey, that there are places that you can go to talk about this because there are so many kids that this happens to. I think that's one of the coolest things about children's advocacy centers is when we opened ours up in 2007, the Riverbridge Regional Center opened, and it's just so cool to have a place that we, we cannot hide child sexual abuse in our community because there's an actual structure, a building that shows that this is where kids can go when they're going through not only child sexual abuse, but any kind of child abuse or neglect. So it really puts a face on it. Um, so please report. It's really, really essential to do. 
You do not want to follow Team Offender because they have that one rule that is do not call the police. So please break that rule. Um, keep in mind that offenders, they're, they're really, they're sick. They're very troubled people. And so very often, you know, it's, it's always ironic to me when people are talking about how, uh, kids make this stuff up to get perpetrators, uh, to get people in trouble. Well, they just must be inventing this because they, they want to get them in trouble for something. It's just, <laughs> I, I really, really have, can hardly think of any cases where a person is looking to get that person in trouble. So often, these kids, these teens, are just afraid of what's going to happen to him, what's going to happen to her. I just, oh my gosh, and they're so worried about this person. And I try to explain to them that, you know, if you really care about this person and love them, this is the most loving thing that you can do. It, this cannot sit well with them either. There must be a side of them deep down that knows what they're doing is terribly, terribly wrong and sick and damaging to people. And this is going to give them an opportunity to get treatment. So that would ultimately be the goal, is getting them some kind of help. Because it is just, it is really, I think, in a lot of ways, a mental illness. And I recognize that not everybody that works with offenders thinks of it that way. But I really, I think that it, there's just something very, very um, different in the way they perceive children, the way they perceive power, the way they perceive sexual gratification. And uh, there's just something, something very wrong and they need help. They need help. And so that is getting them to shine a light on the issue is is really the best way you can ever protect them. And then I also have to think you might be able to protect your child if you move away and don't report it, but you're not protecting any other children. They're still going to seek out other kids. It's not like they just did this one-time thing. This is a problem that they have, that they want to have power and control over children and get sexual gratification with them. And so you have to, you have to report it because other kids will be at risk. It's the only way to get the, your child any kind of therapeutic support, as I explained with mandatory reporting. And it's just, it's, it's really, if something is stolen from you, if something is taken, like anything, you're most likely going to call the police. Why would you not do that over your child's innocence, over your child's well-being? That's been taken away from them. Trust in people. They've, they've had a, a horrible violation and you, you need to call the police and, and have them take care of the investigation. Um, and this is really the best way to communicate to your child that the offender is at fault and they did something very wrong and that the victim has nothing to be ashamed of. There's no better way to send that message to your child than by telling them um, that you are going to call the police, even if they don't want you to. But, you know, he broke a very serious rule, honey, and I need to call the police and have them take care of this. So, um, one thing that, that I think is a, a myth out there is that that's um, the parents... You, role is to decide whether or not to press charges. Um, I don't think that that's helpful at all, and that should never be told to parents or to victims, because that's the police's job is to press charges. <laughs> it's not the, the parent's job. The parent, your only responsibility is to report it, and they'll do an investigation, and they will decide, along with the district attorneys, if there's enough to charge the person. But that is not something that should be put on you. That needs to be put on the legal system. Much like if you were hit by a drunk driver and it turns out the drunk driver is your best friend's husband, 
you don't get to say to the police in that situation on the scene, you know what, actually, I know this guy and, and I don't want to press any charges. They violated the law. And so they're going, the police are going to deal with it. In your opinion, really, at that point, it's, it's the state of Colorado taking this person through the court process or, you know, whatever state that you're in. It's not the, the victim taking through the court process. So I think it's just important to distinguish that. So that was tip number eight. Thank you so much for listening to yet another episode. We only have two left. Next one coming up is tip number nine. And in that one, we are going to be talking about some of the risk and protective factors for kids. As I've said, all children, um, this is a public health issue. All children are at some risk and no one is immune from sexual abuse, but there are definitely some risk and protective factors that I want to go over. So we will be doing that in tip number nine, and uh, I look forward to having you join me then. Thanks, and have a great day. And if anything that has come up today has triggered anything for you and you need to get support, please remember the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network at 1-800-656-HOPE. And certainly, as I said before, if you need to report any kind of child abuse, please contact your local law enforcement or Child Protective Services Agency. Thank you.